verse 31 of Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who indeed did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will affliction, or turmoil, or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Aren't these wonderful words that we read today? This passage is really a summarization and an application of all the things that Paul has been teaching in the letter thus far. So he's coming to a place in the letter where he's summarizing and applying all that he's been teaching up to this point. And rather than looking closely at this passage today, um, what I want to do is I want to do two things. I want to set the stage for us to grasp and understand the full import of this passage that we've just read. And then next week, Ian's going to take us into it. He's going to delve into it. He's going to unpack it for us. So I just want to lay a platform or set the stage for that to happen. You'll notice at the very start of this passage in verse 31, Paul says this, What then shall we say to these things? What then shall we say to these things? So we have to ask ourselves the question, what is the things he's talking about? What is he referring to? that he's now going to give a response to or apply to our lives. You'll also notice in this passage that the words, the pronouns, us and we, come out. He's put there all through this passage. He's talking about us and we. If God be for us, who can be against us? Uh, so he's applying this to a group of people. And so today what I want to do is I want to summarize the things that Paul is referring to in this passage, the, the things that he says, that, what shall we say in response to these things? That's the first thing I want to do. I want to summarize what he has said in the letter up to this point. Because if we don't have that clearly in our minds, then what he's saying here in this passage will not have its full import in our lives. And then secondly, I want to ask a question today. Who is Paul talking about when he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who is the us? Who is the we that he's referring to 
in this passage. And this is very important for us to understand because one of the things, one of the mistakes that people often make when they're reading the scriptures is that they read themselves into passages. In other words, they put themselves into passages that don't apply to them necessarily. And we want to make sure that this passage applies to us because obviously it applies here to a certain group of people. And we want to find out who that group of people is. Obviously, it applies to the people that Paul was writing this letter to. That's clear. We can see that it also applies to Paul because he includes himself there. He says, if God is for us. So he's speaking about himself and he's also speaking about other people, which is the people that were in Rome, the Christians that were in Rome all those years ago. But can we say confidently that these words also apply to us today? Because when you look at the words that we've just read, I mean, they have tremendous meaning and they have tremendous significance to the people that they apply to. And so we want to make sure today that these words do apply to us. So let's take a little journey right now back through what we've seen and what we've learned so far from the writings of the Apostle Paul in this letter. The first thing that we saw as Paul began to expound the truths of the gospel in this letter is that humanity is not in a good place. Paul did not paint a good positive picture of humanity. And you know, we as people, we have such a good view of ourselves, don't we? We have such a good view of humanity. You know, you'll hear people say, you know, well, everybody is essentially good. Everybody really has goodness in them. It just needs to be brought out. But when you look at what the Apostle Paul taught in this letter, you see completely the opposite picture. He didn't paint a picture of a good humanity, of people that are, in essence, good. He painted a picture of people, all people, humanity as a whole, being a creature that is condemned and under the dominion of death simply because we are Adam's children. We saw this in chapter 5. In other words, when a human being is born, they're born into this world already condemned. They don't need to do anything bad. They come into this world in that state. They come into this world under the dominion of death. That's why we see babies who have never done anything good or bad dying. And it all goes back to Adam who sinned in the garden and as the father of the human race conveyed what he had done to every single one of his unborn offspring. And so that's why we see things going on in the world that go on in the world. It's because as a race, the human race is born, condemned and under the dominion of death. So that was in chapter 5. We also saw that all people are totally corrupt and under the dominion of sin. Now, we as people, we don't want to accept that about ourselves because we want to believe that we are in essence good. But this, just look at Romans chapter 3, verse 9 to 12 here. This is what Paul writes. And this is really a great condemnation that hangs over every single human being. Look at what he says. 
starting in verse 9, both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. He's including everyone, the whole world. As it is written, there is not one that is righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. That is God's verdict on humanity. Not one person is going to be able to stand before God on the judgment day and plead their own merits. Not one person is going to be able to stand before God and say that they deserve salvation or that they deserve God's blessing. All people, Paul wrote, are totally corrupt, as we can see here. There's none who seeks for God. They've all become worthless. Every one of us has turned aside. Every one of us has done what is corrupt and evil in the eyes of God. The next thing we saw about humanity is that all people, when left to themselves by God, will always follow a path into unrestrained impurity, perversion, and depravity, and will willingly do things that are not right, that they know are not right, and are worthy of death and eternal damnation. That's God's verdict. That is the reality. The only thing that stops the world falling into utter chaos is the fact that God has put restraints in place. Where those restraints are removed, what happens? If you remember, uh, I think it was last year, those riots happened in South Africa in Durban. And you saw people just, the moment there was an opportunity, the moment that there seemed to be this breakdown in law and order, what did people do? They ran in. Because the only thing that restrains humanity are the restraints that God has put in place through government, through consequences. If, we were, if God was to remove all of that and he was to leave humanity to itself, we would destroy ourselves in a very short period of time. Because that is, in essence, what human beings are. And this is what God teaches through the Apostle Paul in this letter. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, he says this, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means there is not a single human being who has a claim to the glory of God. Not one of us can stand before God and say, You must give me salvation. We cannot demand anything that is good of God. We have no right to it. Amongst humanity, there is no one who deserves to be saved. And there is no one who deserves to receive anything good from God. In Romans 1.20, Paul said that men, all men, are without excuse. That means there's not a single human being that will be able to stand before God and say, I never knew. Do you know that just in creation, God has given us everything we need to know Him and seek Him. But our eyes have turned away 
and our ears we've stopped up and our hearts have rebelled and we said we don't want to know we don't want to see him and we don't want to seek him that is humanity we are a bunch of rebels that's what we are we're a bunch of rebellious corrupt wayward impure perverted and depraved people that's humanity that's the picture that god gives us that's how he sees us we very rarely see ourselves that way but that is the reality we have no defense before god and even more than that what we see here in the book of romans is that there is nothing anyone can do to liberate themselves from this predicament nothing that we can do nothing that we can give in exchange for our souls nothing that we can offer to god that would cause him to have mercy on us nothing we cannot earn salvation we don't deserve salvation and as paul says in romans chapter 5 verse 6 we are powerless before god we're powerless to do what is good we're powerless to keep the law of god we're powerless to submit to god and we are powerless to please god that's the picture that paul paints through this letter of the state of humanity in other words we could say this and i'm going to put it up on the screen mankind is utterly sinful utterly condemned utterly depraved and utterly lost or we could put it this way mankind is wholly pitiful totally powerless hopelessly hopeless completely undeserving of receiving anything good from god and unless we have that picture of mankind and that picture of ourselves do you know we are in opposition to what god has shown us in scripture we're actually contradicting what he has said about us this really puts us in a place doesn't it i mean if we were to leave it there we have no hope we're lost we're condemned we're damned there's nothing we can do it's all over for us but this is the gospel this is the good news is that god even before this happened even before he created one of us he knew all of this he knew what was going to happen and he was unwilling that all of humanity would be lost despite their sinfulness he was unwilling for that to happen and so back in the in in, in eternity before the foundation of the world god set his heart and affection on a portion of this radically lost and depraved group of his creatures he set his heart on a group of people that in romans chapter 8 verse 29 paul puts it this way those whom god foreknew he set his heart on them in romans 8 27 he called them saints and right here in the passage that we read in verse 33 he called them god's elect god 
chose out of sinful humanity that deserved nothing good from him, that deserved condemnation and destruction, he, does, he, he chose for himself a people that he would save, a people that he would redeem, a people that would become his very own people. This is what the gospel is all about. And he chose to have mercy on these people, and he chose to save them by his grace, not because of anything that they have done or anything that they could do, through faith in his son. He chose them to be adopted as his sons, as his children, and to become his heirs. Can you, can you imagine what God is doing? He's looking at this perverted, depraved group of people, and he says, I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to save them. I'm going to bring them to myself. I'm going to change them. And I'm going to make them my children. I'm going to adopt them as my sons. And they're going to become my heirs. And then Paul tells us he predestined them. What did he predestine them to? To be conformed to the very image of his son. In other words, to become just like Jesus. To be changed and so transformed in their lives that they would be like Jesus. Why did he do this? So that Jesus could be the firstborn amongst many. Do you see what God's plan was? And this is what the gospel is all about. And so this is what God did. In order to do this, he committed himself 100% to bringing this purpose to pass. Do you know that God, he wasn't just going to leave it up to us because if he left it up to us, where would we have gone? We'd have run the opposite way. God came seeking us. Jesus was sent to this world, he said this, to seek and save those who were lost. We never sought God. God came seeking us. He left heaven in his son and he came and dwelt amongst us. Why? So that he could find us. The shepherd came looking for his sheep. And you know that that's what God is doing even today? He's looking for his sheep. God is 100% committed to bringing this to pass. How committed is he? Well, let's think about what he's done. He devised a plan to save this group of people whom he had foreknown. A plan that required him to send his son into this world in the likeness, and notice I say in the likeness, of sinful flesh. And then, that was not enough. He delivered his son into the hands of sinful men, God-haters, so that they would crucify him on a cross. Put thorns on his head. Flog him. Nails through his hands and feet. A spear through his side. So that they would mock him and beat him. That didn't happen to Jesus because men decided it would happen. It happened because God, before the very foundation of the world, had decided that that would happen. And God delivered his son over to these people. 
He took his hands off. The Lord Jesus said when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and those people came to arrest him, he said, could I not ask my father and he would at once put 10,000 angels at my disposal? No. God gave him over to death, just like we've been remembering today. God delivered him over into the hands of evil men. Why? So that he could die for the sins of his people. So that he could save his people from their sins. That's not where it ended. God then raised him from the dead. Isn't that the most wonderful thing to think about? The resurrection of Jesus, provable through history. God raised him from the dead. Why did he raise him from the dead? So that he could be a merciful and faithful high priest to represent God's people before God. And then he enthroned Jesus at the right hand of God. And he sent out his spirit to indwell people that he had called to take this message to the nations of the world. And he began to seek out his elect. And for the last 2,000 years or so, this is what God has been doing. He's been seeking out his elect. He's been sending this message from nation to nation down through the generations. Right up to this present time, right here to this very room today. And what is he doing? He's seeking his people. He's seeking to save those that before the foundation of the world, he chose to set his heart and affection upon. And by his spirit, as this group of people hear the gospel, the Holy Spirit opens their eyes so that they can understand the truth. And he opens their ears so that they can hear the voice of the Savior calling them to himself. And he lays hold of their sinful, corrupted, and wayward hearts. And he changes those hearts so that these people no longer are God-haters, but they become God-lovers. And they no longer live as enemies of God, but they begin to live as the friends of God. Where they no longer want to follow ungodliness, but there's a desire in their heart to, to follow after righteousness. He sets them free from being slaves to sin and he makes them become slaves to God. The Apostle Paul says in one place, he puts it in these words. He says, he makes them new creatures. And do you know that this is what God is doing in all of our lives? Setting us free from our bondage to sin, uniting us to Christ so that we become fully identified with Him, freeing us from all condemnation, and allowing and causing His Spirit, His Holy Spirit, to come and live in our hearts. This is what God has been working. Everything that He's been doing from the very beginning has been to effect and bring to fulfillment this plan that He had before the creation of the world to save His people. And then once he brings them into this place, he leads them 
through the scriptures on a journey of renewal and transformation. Using every circumstance in our lives, every detail of our lives to bring us to that ultimate good, that ultimate benefit, that ultimate place which we have been predestined for, and that is to be like Jesus Christ. And when will that work be completed? When Jesus comes again. On that day, that last day, when our mortal bodies will be changed and transformed to be like Jesus' glorious body, and we will receive and enter into the glory of God. Do you see how God is working a plan out here? And that God has called us and chosen us not to be spectators, but to be participants, to be recipients of this plan. That's why I believe you're seated in this place here today. Let's move on and let's just begin to ask this question. In this passage, we see this group that Paul is referring to, us and we. This is the group that is God's elect and the saints. And when he wrote to the Roman believers, this is what he said right at the beginning of the letter to them. Romans chapter 1 verse 6 to 7. He said, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? To all who are beloved of God in Rome. Called as saints. That's why he included them in the us and the we in the passage that we read at the very beginning. Are you included? That's the question I want to ask. Can you be sure that you also are included? I want to help you today. You see, let me just start here, first of all, by saying not everybody who is a part of God's elect, this group of people that God foreknew, is sitting in a church today. I want that to be absolutely clear. Do you know that there are people that God has foreknown from before the foundation of the world whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life that right now are sitting in a bar somewhere? Right now, are prostituting themselves somewhere. Or are making a plan to steal from somebody right now. But God has set His affection on them. They don't deserve it. They cannot earn it. But God has set His affection on them. Secondly, there are those who might be seated here today and you've never really understood that God is calling you to himself. We could say you've sort of been coming to church simply because maybe someone wanted you to. Whatever the reason it is, you've come and you've listened, but your heart has never really been touched. Never really, you've never felt that drawing of God towards himself. Maybe you have, but you've been holding back. You've been saying, I don't want to step across that line. 
Do you know that God is calling you to Himself today? I believe that there are people seated right here in this building today that God is calling to Himself. He's calling you because from the foundation of the earth, He set His affection and He set His heart on you. And although you are totally undeserving, and although right now in your life you may be following a way that is away from God, you may come to church and then from Monday to Saturday you just go your own way and you're living in ways that you know do not please God. But God has got His eyes on you. And He's calling you to Himself. Why? Because from the very beginning, He chose you. He chose you to be one of His children. He chose you to inherit His kingdom. He chose you to inherit His glory. He chose and predestined you to be made like His Son. And to live forever. And He's calling you to Himself. I pray today... That even as I'm sharing these words, the Holy Spirit will be speaking to you in your heart. And then there's a third group. And that's those of you who know in your hearts that you belong to Jesus. You know in your hearts that you have been born again. You've become a new creature in Christ. You've heard the call of God and you've answered that call. And you've come forth and you know that you're a part of the people of God. And you know that God's hand is on your life. And you know that there has been a transformation of, from what you used to be to what you are today. You can say, I know God has laid hold of me. No matter what group you may find yourself in today, God wants you to be absolutely sure that you are a part of His people. And that the words that we read at the beginning really and truly apply to you just as much as they applied to the Apostle Paul and just as much as they applied to the saints in Rome. That you can take those words and say, these words speak about me. Where you can take those words and you can read your name into that passage. If God be for me, who can be against me? If God did not spare His only Son, but gave Him up for me, how will He not also along with Him graciously give me all things? That's how definite God wants us to be. And so what I want to do is I want to just lead you through some questions today. How can we know that we belong to this people that God has set His heart on. That God has chosen from before the foundation of the world. That God has been since the foundation of the world reaching out to save. Let me quickly give you these questions. Do you believe this gospel? Do you believe this message that the Apostle Paul gives us in Scripture? Do you believe the message of the Bible? Does it thrill your heart when you consider it? Are you convinced that Jesus Christ, who lived 2,000 years ago on this earth, is the eternal Son of God? Are you convinced that He died for your sins on a cross? 
Are you convinced that God raised him from the dead and glorified him at his right hand? Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Have you heard the call to become a follower of Christ? Do you have a desire to follow him? Do you have a desire to live in a way that pleases him? Have you had enough of your sins? Are you willing to forsake all to live for him right now? Is the love of God in your heart? Do you love him? Do you desire to spend eternity with him? And are you willing to publicly declare all of these things? If you can honestly say that this describes you, and you may just be coming to believe this gospel, you may be hearing it for the first time the way that you've heard it today, but there's something in your heart that is being convicted that this is the truth then I can say, I will venture to say, that without doubt, you are God's chosen, one of his elect, and that God is calling you to himself and has chosen you according to his purpose. And all the words of that passage that we read at the beginning apply to you. As I close today, I just want you to consider these words that was spoken by Jesus of Nazareth, the Lord Jesus, while he was here in the flesh walking amongst us. The first one is in John chapter 6 and verse 35. He said, I am the bread of life. Oh, if we can only see who Jesus Christ really is. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. He's talking there about spiritually. John chapter 6 and verse 37, just a few verses on, the Lord Jesus said this, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. You see, he's talking there about this group of people again. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. I'll tell you this, if you come to Jesus, he will never cast you out. John chapter 5 verse 24, he said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Isn't that wonderful? Every one of us that has heard his word and believed it will not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Isn't that wonderful? I don't know about you, but this thrills me. And finally, John chapter 10, verse 27 to 28, he said this, My sheep, here's that group of people again, my sheep, those that I've set my heart on, those that the Father has given me, those who I foreknew before the foundation of the world, they hear my voice. Are you hearing his voice today? And then he said, I know them and they follow me 
and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish, not ever. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Do you know that your life in the hands of Jesus is absolutely secure? There is no one, there is nothing that can snatch you out of his hands. That's what Paul was telling us in Romans chapter 8. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He has set our, his affection on us and he has pursued us. He has sought us. He has chased us down. He has brought us, called us, drawn us and provided everything we need to know him and to live with him. For all eternity. We're in his hands. He called us when we were reprobate. And he saved us. Isn't that wonderful? This is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. And I want to encourage every single one of you today. If you've never put your life into the hands of Jesus. Do it today. Don't leave this building without taking that step across into the very arms of the Savior and becoming one of his found sheep, not one of his lost sheep. God is calling you today out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's calling you out of your sin into his righteousness. He's calling you out of the world to become one of his people. Will you take that step today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you. For the fact that you have loved us. Not because we deserved it. But contrary to what we deserved. Father, we think about the fact that you set your hearts in us from before the foundation of the world, that you foreknew us, and that you have done all that you've done to find us, to reach us, to save us, and to call us to yourself. And we're so thankful today. Truly, truly, salvation is by grace alone. And we thank you for your grace. And we thank you for your mercy. And Lord, I pray for every single person here today. That you would enable them by the power of your Holy Spirit. To fully comprehend and understand and grasp the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And to respond more fully and more wholly to your call upon our lives. As your saints. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.